This is a very special church. I go to hundreds, yay, thousands of churches, and I, I, I don't know that, that the, the biggest feeling that I can describe it being in this church is safe. Um, and um, it just feels safe. And, you know, I've had a lot of crisis this weekend, and nobody condemned me, nobody, and I just want to say thank everybody who, like my crisis became their crisis, the pastor had to speak this morning when he wasn't prepared, and all these things that had to happen, and the sound teams, and, the, and Megan who's driving me to the airport, but I just want to thank you for the kindness that you have uh, all shown me, I appreciate it a lot. Um, um, Lord, we just, we love your presence, we love to be with you where you are. And Lord, we say like David that we love your law. It's like honey to us and we, we eat it. We, we take that vision of the honey dripping down on us, Lord, and we want to experience more and more and more of who you are. And we thank you for the word of God. We thank you that you gave this revelation of yourself to us. We thank you that we can know you through your holy word, and we pray, God, that, that we would not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. In Jesus' name, amen. And I'm gonna teach you today on prayer, which is actually my favorite subject. Um, and I started praying the Bible when I was 16 years old. And I did so because I was the dumbest one in church. So what I'm gonna teach you today works, you know, this is a prayer for dummies. This, is a, this works for anybody. Um, and, and it is probably the most ancient form of prayer in the scriptures. And it is how even the Lord himself taught us to pray. Uh, he, he, he actually had to teach us to pray. And all of the prophets prayed. Elijah was a man just like us, but he prayed. So there is that maybe contrast. He's like us in every way, except his prayer life was extraordinary. Uh, so Daniel, the only thing they could get on him, the only thing that they could find to actually catch him, you know, his critics and his accusers, was that he prayed uh, uh, three times a day. He bowed and faced Jerusalem and, and prayed three times a day. Moses, you know, would spend hours in the presence of God. And it says of Joshua and Caleb, they would go into the presence of God with Moses. And then there's that amazing uh, text that uh, when Caleb and, Moses, Caleb and Moses would leave, it says, but Joshua stayed longer. And I think his leadership, even though both him and Caleb were men of faith, Joshua's staying a little longer in the presence of God was what predicated him being chosen and not Caleb being chosen as the leader. And so prayer is something that is so critical. How can we have a relationship with someone we don't talk to? And I was a high school French and German teacher by profession. And I know what it's like to teach somebody another language. And so uh, prayer is the, uh, the Bible is the language of God. So I'm going to, uh, I want to leave time for activation. So I'm going to kind of rush through this today. 
And if I rush through this, it doesn't mean that you can't study. I have this book on it, which I'm basically going to preach a, a, out of today, a condensed form. Uh, and this book is why specifically, out of all the forms of prayer that exist, we need to also you know, add praying the Bible, meditating on the law of God. This is why specifically to pray the Bible, even though the Bible does talk about different forms of prayer. And this is what to pray. This is 88 prayers in the Bible from different translations, so you can get kind of used to different ones. And, and it is what to pray. It is the content. So it's we've actually chosen prayers from the Scripture, put introductions, how to posture yourself before, you know, be... be be around each kind of prayer because it's different to pray the prayers of Jesus and the prayers of the Song of Solomon and the apostolic prayers. They have different kind of heart postures. So that's, uh, that's what that is. And, and, and at the end, um, you can come and, uh, if you don't have a Bible today, you can come and grab one of these for the exercise that we're going to do. There might even be some more. So there are seven specific steps to praying the Bible. I hope I'll get through them, but I might not get through them all. And the first, um, the first principle that I want to talk about today is that every single one of us has to learn to pray. We are not born again and suddenly have a deep prayer life. No, it is actually, so, it's, it's, a, it's an art, if you were, to learning how to pray. Even the disciples had to learn how to pray. And one day when Jesus was praying in a certain place, Luke 11, 1, and when he was finished praying, his disciples said to him, Master, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples to pray. Now what does that tell us? That tells us that when the disciples were watching Jesus pray, they realized that his prayer life was different than their prayer life. Have you ever been somewhere in a prayer meeting or even at church and somebody begins to pray and suddenly you go, wow, they pray as one who has authority and not as the scribes. So they, they feel like they're actually connecting with heaven. And, and sometimes we feel like our prayers hit the ceiling and bounce back down. But there is a, a, a connection that, that they had. And Jesus, when he prayed, all the disciples went, wow, we, we, we don't pray like that. We have to learn. These are the people that Jesus chose to be with him where he was. And then obviously they alluded to John the Baptist who that, he was that wild man in the desert, and that's what he did. He prayed. And, and, and if you don't pray like Jesus or John the Baptist, then we, we have a ways to go, and we can grow in that. Um, I, I remember that uh, I had to learn to pray. I said that I learned to pray when I was 16 years old because I was the dumbest one in church. I went to a Plymouth Brethren church, and the women wore head coverings. I had never been to a church that actually... You had to open the Bible before. I mean, I've been to church, but they kind of took out Bible verses and shared them on a screen or in a little booklet. And I, I'd never actually had to open the Bible. So when I went to this Plymouth Brethren Church, I had to buy a little doily to put on my head, and I put that on my head. And, you know, uh, and the pastor got up and he said, open your Bibles to the book of Philippians. And I turned to the person next to me, and I said, uh, what page is it on? 
Now that's how biblically illiterate I was. I, I didn't know. And at 16 years old, I had to learn Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. I didn't know how to actually get to the scriptures. You know those little songs they teach you in children's church? I'd never had any of that. I couldn't find the book of Philippians. And, and I was so embarrassed that I went home and I said, I am going to you know, because I was always pretty good at school, so I, I, I didn't like being, I was embarrassed. So I went home, and I said, I'm going to learn how to do that. I looked up in my, the concordance. They told me where I could find the book of Philippians, somebody, when I asked them. And I went home, and I said, I'm going to read this, and I'm going to learn how to do this. And I remember reading, you know, Paul. Uh, and Timothy, bond slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, to the 12 tribes who are scattered abroad. I can't remember if that's actually Philippians uh, 1, but it, that kind of thing. And I remember going, you know, reading and, and going through and said, I'm going to read this whole book of Philippians but before Sunday. This was the Wednesday night prayer meeting I was at. Before Sunday, I'm going to know where Philippians is. I'm going to know what Philippians is. Well, after about four verses in, my eyes glazed over, you know, Paul, Timothy, you know bond slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ through the twelve. I, I didn't have a clue. I, didn't ha I read about four verses, and I went back. I, I couldn't understand what I was reading. And I actually stumbled onto the ancient practice of the Lectio Divina by accident by being the dumbest one in church. And what I had to do was I began to I didn't understand it. So I just began to pray, say, Lord, I don't understand this. I don't know what it's saying. I said, please help me. And so, first of all, I worked at the actual words. Paul. Who's Paul? I mean, I had a vague idea. And so I went to the concordance, and I found out about Paul, that he was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, circumcised on the eighth day. And he had all this pedigree, of uh, this Jewish pedigree. And, uh, you know, that he got saved by a blinding light and, and uh, an audible voice and, and, and that he, you know, led missionary journeys, etc., etc. And after a while, I kind of had this, okay, I could hang the word Paul in my head. So I stopped. And then I went to the next word. And Timothy. I'm like, oh, no, who's Timothy? And I had to look up, you know, Paul wrote a couple letters to him, and there was no one so like-minded as his servant Timothy. And, and he went on missionary journeys. He had a saved mother and a grandmother. I found out all this stuff about Timothy. And then I'd go to the next word, bond slaves. And I go, what on earth is a bond slave? And at 16 years old, I'd say, okay, a bond slave. And I've discovered from the Old Testament, I just had to go to my concordance, figure out what those words meant. And that, you know, a Hebrew couldn't have a, another Hebrew slave for more than seven years. And if at the end that Hebrew slave said, no, I want to stay being a slave of, of this person, they had to go to the, uh, they, they said, I love my master. I want to be a bond slave for life. They would go and they would get their ears pierced with an awl, etc. They would go uh, and to the priest and have all this stuff done. And then they could be a bond slave or a love slave for the rest of their life out of love for their master. And I remember, first of all, it took me just weeks, if not months, to understand these words that were actually in the Bible, but they're, they're alive, they're living words. And so once you have a place to hang them in your cognitive mind, there is a better place where you go that you become not just hearers of the word, but doers of it. And so at 16, I would pray in the privacy of my own room at night, uh, Lord, make me your bond slave. 
And when I go to school tomorrow, Lord, grade 11, and I was the first person in my family. I have five brothers and a twin sister. My family was kind of falling apart at that time. My dad had become an alcoholic. He'd lost his business. It was very stressful. And in that context, I said, Lord, make me your bond slave. I didn't have a single Christian friend at high school. Uh, well, I had a, a, a couple, yeah, uh, that were not my close friends. And I was having to separate from my peer group. I was having to do all these things. And, the, and I was a weak Christian. I was not like bravado. But somehow, when I would pray, say, God, like, make me your bond slave. You know? When I go to school, I want to serve you, God. And I know I'm really weak. And I know I can hardly make it. And, uh, but, Lord, I ask that you would make me your bond slave. And this singular practice of meditating on the law of God began slowly and imperceptibly to change me from the inside out. Because the greatest revelation of God that we have is not a prophetic word and it's not a dream. It is the word of God. And when we, all the words of the Bible eventually lead you to the author of the words. And so the first thing is, is that we have to learn how to pray. And I, I dare say that when I go to prayer meetings, a lot of times there are more women there than men. Just saying. It's the woman's work. To, to pray sometimes, you know. And, and, but even men, even alpha males, my husband's testimony is totally different. He's a full-on alpha male. He loves, you know, he's, uh, he, 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 his theology of prayer was this. Why would I go in a room and, and talk, God, talk to God and tell him what he should do when he already knows what he should do? And, and I know what I should do, so I should just go do it. So his prayer life was almost non-existent. He said, I was saved prayerless. I led hundreds of people to Christ prayerless. I was a missionary in Africa prayerless. I went to four years of Baptist Bible College prayerless. Then we planted this church. I planted a church prayerless. Essentially, I mean, he was in the prayer meetings, but his personal prayer life. And he said, it wasn't until the Holy Spirit fell in our little Baptist church and the prophetic broke out and the first thing God told us to do was pray pray. And he commanded us to pray. And he said, Wesley, if you do not pray, and Wesley was like writing down all the prophecies because the Lord told us to write down the prophecies. And he said he could feel that somebody was, you know, that he was going to get a rebuke. You know, if, whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And, and, and David Roos, who was our, our worship leader at the time, runs over to him. He's shaking and he's prophesying. He said, Wesley, if you do not pray, I'm going to take your ministry like this piece of paper from your hand. And he did a prophetic act. And took the, prophet, the paper from his hand and ripped it up and stepped on it like this. And I mean, all in an ecstatic state. And Wesley said, I just, ah! And, and so he, he was determined that he was going to, to learn how to pray. But he had to work at prayer. And the second point is, first you have to learn how to pray. Be motivated to actually pray. Wesley was highly motivated after that. And, uh, and, and, the, uh, and the, the, the second point is we have to determine to work at prayer. Prayer is hard work. It's aggressive and not passive. Many of us, when we think of prayer, we sit still, we, you know, uh, you know or we pray like this. Now I lay me down to sleep. 
I pray the Lord my soul. And, and we have very passive postures, passive, you know, passive uh, modes of entering, but prayer is a warrior's job. Prayer is hard work. Prayer is labor. The Bible says of Jesus, Hebrews 5, 7, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries, loud cries and tears to the one who could save him. You know, that's how Jesus prayed. He prayed loudly and with tears, you know, and to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Does that mean you have to shout real loud and cry real lots to be heard by God. No, he was heard because of the attitude of his heart. But what that does tell you is that when Jesus prayed, he was into it. You cannot be shouting, you cannot be weeping unless you're actually engaging and touching heaven. Uh, Paul said, night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again. And when you look at the adverbial phrases like most earnestly or you look at, you know, the adjectives that surround the noun prayer, uh, you, you'll see that they're, uh, they're uh, I'm, I'm, I'm at the, it's not working for me, that they are, they're, Aggressive words, they're not passive words. Devote yourself to prayer. Be watchful or vigilant when you pray and be thankful. And so by all means, use every means to engage in active prayer. But almost never sit down and never lie down when you pray. When you pray, you know, we should be walking, we should be talking in the, uh, in the, uh, uh, in the uh, temple, they would walk around and pray. In the medieval church, that's where you get the whole idea of the, uh, of the uh, monastic wheel is what they called it. All the monks would walk around because they didn't have their own personal Bibles uh, back in, in the day, and they would walk around in the 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th century uh, AD, and they would the, have a prayer caller, and they would say the prayer out loud antiphonally when they walked around. So it's great to walk or to go like this. You even see them today at the Wailing Wall when Jews are praying. They are moving when they pray. And that's because if they, you know, if they're praying and they fall asleep, bang, they hit their head. No, no, that's not why. And then, <laughs> And wake up. They do it because there's actually something to this motion. So if you don't have any space and you just actually move like this, there's something to this motion that neurologists have said that there is a connection between your body movement and your focal point. And it helps to focus on what you're thinking about as you do that. So there's, so use all means, but almost never ever sit down and for sure never lay down. Uh, in in this, the third point is set a time and make a place to pray. Uh, I cannot tell you how important this one point is. It seems obvious, but it's kind of like any relationship. If I say, you know, I just love the, this, this leadership team. I love these pastors. I would really like to get to know the Lord. You know, we should, we should go for coffee sometime. And I see her at church and we say, yes, we should do that. And then, uh, I, but we don't set a time and make a place. I'll come back next Sunday and say, oh, yeah, we got to go for coffee. And, you know, until I actually say Thursday morning at the coffee shop on the corner of this and that street, let's meet for coffee. Until I set a time and make a place, we actually probably will never meet. And if I go too long saying that, I get embarrassed and then 
I start to avoid the person that I say I'm going to, to meet. So the best thing you can do is write it in your diary. Mike Bickle says this, if you can show me in your diary the times you prayed last week, I'll tell you how many times you're going to pray this week. So, but in the Bible, they actually had set times of prayer. Now, this freaks us out in our charismatic culture. Oh, no, that's legalism, that's law. No, it's actually building, all relationships are built in time and space, as I said. And in the Bible, how the, they, they, they did it was they, they actually had set times of prayer. Psalm 55, verses 16 to 19, says this. The psalmist said, as for me, I shall call upon God, and the Lord will save me. You need be saved in some aspect of your life. And evening and morning at noon, I will complain and murmur, and he will hear my voice. That's, they said, had three times of prayer a day. Um, whoops, I'm in the wrong place. And uh, it comes from the practice of Joshua 1.8, when they were going into the promised land. And this is where the entire uh, understanding of Jewish prayer comes from Joshua 1.8. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Why? So that we do it. So that we're doers of the word, not hearers only. When we are only hearers without doers, self-deception sets in. Deceiving your own self, the New Testament says. But on this one, in the Old Testament, it says, meditate on the law of God day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. And the promise is, then you will be prosperous and successful. How many of you want to be prosperous and successful? This is a means to get prosperity and success in every area of your life. Okay, so what does day and night mean? Day and night, all the time, you know, that's what people say. But actually what it means, you know, is in the day and in the night, in the morning and in the evening. Psalm 141 verse 2 says, May my prayer be counted as incense, the lifting up of my hands as the evening offering. And in the Talmud, it talks about prayer being the people's sacrifice. The Levites did the actual blood sacrifices, uh, you know, for atonement. But prayer, this became the evening offering. It, be, it becomes an offering of worship and in, like incense. And Psalm 1-2 says, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. It was the common practice of the Jews that they would gather in the morning around the evening, uh, the morning sacrifice, and then again at night around the evening sacrifice. Moses would read out the law. They would respond to the law, and then they would go back. So, and this practice carried on all the way hundreds of years later to Daniel ch chapter 6, verse 10, that when he was accused and they were going to throw him in the lion's den and he learned that de the decree had been published, what did he do? He went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God. And this is the optimal adverbial phrase just as he had done before. How did he pray? Just the same way he always did. Nothing in the crisis changed his prayer life. 
Many times it takes a crisis for us to get to that place. But in the crisis is where, how we will respond. How we respond in prayer in a crisis will be reflective of how we respond, how we prayed before the crisis. So when my son broke his neck in, uh, in a rugby game in 2013, I shared this at the luncheon. He broke his neck. The first thing I did when I found out about it, I was not at home. Wesley called me and said, three neurosurgeons have said he will be a quadriplegic for the rest of his life. That there's nothing we can, we can fix spinal cord, uh, we can fix broken bones. There's nothing we can do for spinal cords. Your son has a severe spinal cord injury. And the first thing I did, I said, I just got to find God. I got I to go before a throne of grace to find help in time of need. Give me a throne room passage, Lord, where I can go. And the first thing I did was I went to Daniel chapter 7, and I began to stare at the Ancient of Days seated on the throne. You know, he was there he was, and principalities and powers were all there, and powers were given to him, and all of these things were around the throne. And I went before that throne of grace, and a little later in Daniel 7, it says that, um, that the enemy was overpowering the saints until he pronounced judgment in favor of the saints. And so I'm by myself in a little room. Nobody in the world knows I'm praying this prayer, but I'm going and I, as only a mother can go. And I said, Lord, I'm asking you, get up from your throne and pronounce judgment in favor of my son. And I took prophecies that the Lord had given me over my children. I said, Lord, you promised me and you are the God who cannot lie. And you said this, that if I would obey you, you would be with my children and you pro and I just went off you know, I, I took, I waged war with prophecies that were given me. I took the scripture. I went to that place. And, and, and when I came out of that room, he began to wiggle the toes on his left foot. But the thing is this, three days later, I get a prophetic word from Brazil. I love prophecy. An intercessor in Brazil, my husband had, had put that out on Facebook, getting the world to pray for our son. And the, but the, because the doctor said, well, you know, that means it's good that he can wiggle the toes, he said, but it means there's a little life in the spinal cord, but that might be all he ever does. And every time he moved something, they said, that might be all he ever does. That might be all he ever does. Long story short, um, uh, I get this email from Brazil three days later, and she said, Stacy, on Saturday I was burdened to pray for your family. And she said, I, when I went to pray for your family, I had a vision. Nobody in the world knows what I had prayed in Daniel 7. And I saw God seated on his throne. And he was looking at you with these amazing eyes of love. And she said, all of a sudden, he got up from his throne. And what was my prayer? Get up from your throne and pronounce judgment in favor of my son. When I read those words, get up from, uh, uh, he got up from his throne, I knew that he heard me and that I had the petition that I had asked of him, as the scripture said. And long story short, five weeks later, my son walked out of that hospital. But I'm telling you, your prayer life, you know, Monday, Tuesday, last week, is, is, is going to determine your faith in a crisis of what's going to happen. So, um, uh, so 
they set a time and make a place every single day in the morning and in the evening is a real easy rhythm for people to get into. And uh, Wesley always says, if you just set your alarm 15 minutes earlier in the morning, get up, open your Bible, and then you pray 15 minutes before you go to sleep at night, most Christians will have increased their prayer life a half hour a day. Okay. So those are real easy times and the rhythm of it, you know, and then pray to God. I don't have time to go into all this. You think it's obvious, but a lot of times we worry with our eyes closed, like our problems are bigger than our God. And so we have to know who God is and his self descriptions through the word so that when we are approaching the throne of grace, we're looking at him. Like Revelation 4, we, we, we taught our children to start with Revelation 4. And then I looked and I heard a voice saying, come up here. And they see God seated on his throne and the emerald rainbow around the throne and the four living creatures in front of the throne. And, and, the, uh, and they're all saying, and they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy. And the elders are throwing their crowns down and the sea of glass is mixed. When you go before God as he's described himself, you're not saying, oh, my boss is really mean, God. Can you see how mean my boss is? And you're, the, the focal point of your problem being bigger or God being bigger actually shifts so that your problem is small and God is big and you know that he is hearing you, okay? So one of the tests we do, which I won't have time to do, is if you know a place in the Bible that has a, what they call a theophany, a God sighting, where men and women have seen God with their eyes and they have described what he looks like. If you could know four places in the Bible where that description is, you know, we make them stand up and then we make them sit down. And rarely do people know even where there's actual descriptions of God, where what his hair looks like, what his eyes look like, what, you know, what his legs look like, uh, those kind of things, because everything has meaning you, you, when, you, when you behold God. So, uh, so pray to God, but here are some places. Revelation 4 and 5 is a great place to start. Revelation 1, Ezekiel 1, Daniel 7, Ezekiel, Exodus 34, and uh, Isaiah 6. I remember Isaiah 6. I love Isaiah 6. Uh, but if you start with one of those passages of Scripture, it really um, helps you to focus on God so that when you enter the presence of God to pray, you're not, you're not led by your circumstances. You're actually beholding God as he has described himself to be. Okay, and then pray the Bible. Um, this is what we speak, uh, 1 Corinthians 2.13, uh, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The Word of God is quick, Hebrews 4. It's alive. It has power in those words. Every other word we pray, we pray can pray human words, but when we're praying the Bible, it's literally a living word that has power inside the words, okay? And so we, 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 we take the, the words of Scripture, and, uh, and as I said, Joshua 1.8, um, etc., and, and, and we pray them. And I was a high school French and German teacher, and I know what it's like to teach somebody another language especially grade eight boys that have no interest in learning like 
French or German, and they're in the class because they have to be there, you know, to get an engineering degree if they ever want to go to university, so they need another language. Anyway, so, and, and, and I, you know, I know that there's a whole bunch of stuff in learning another language that, that's not there at a cursory glance. You know, you, can, you can't transliterate this, this words like, I remember um, my friend told me that she went to, uh, as a missionary to a French-speaking country, and you know, the, she said that they asked her to give her testimony in French. She came out of language school, and what she said was, "Quand je regarde dans ma dernière, je vois qu'elle est divisée en deux parties égales." And what she wanted to say was, "When I look into my past." I see that it is divided into two equal parts. But what she actually said was, when I look into my behind, I see that it is divided into two equal parts, you know? So there are like, there's nuances in language. And a lot of times there's idioms that don't translate well when they're just transliterated. We don't know the meaning behind all of it. And so that's why you have to actually study the words and the context of the words, etc. And then uh, the sixth point is probably one of the most critical points, is don't pray silently. It's, it's next to don't lie down. Pray out loud. Why? Two reasons. So you know when you've stopped. Two. <laughs> it's hard to think about something else when you're talking. Like, you guys can be thinking about lunch, and oh man, I hope she winds it down because my roast is going to burn or whatever. But I'm talking, and I have to concentrate on this. And when you're, you are, and Wesley says, I use my tongue to lasso my mind and keep it focused. And so when you're talking, in fact, even the, the, the Hebrew word, Joshua 1.8, meditate, we kind of think of like, you know, like a Buddhist or something, but they, they, it actually is an out loud Hebrew, it's an out loud vocal word. And it, the word meditate it is from the Hebrew word Hagah, means to murmur, to have a deep tone, to meditate. And it's uh, where it's translated in other portions of the scripture are like the lion growl, roars or growls. You know, it's, it's a vocal word. Or we moan, Hagah, like doves, or mediums and spirits whisper and mutter. And, and you'll hear the Jews when they pray. You know, they'll be saying it out loud. Blessed is the man that does not walk in. You know, the counsel of the ungodly. They're actually saying it out loud. So say your words out loud. And then finally, at the end of all that vocal prayer, save room for silence. At the end, silence is a, uh, an end point of prayer, not a beginning point. And often, most people that are real, amazing intercessors, yay, mystics, they start with vocal, vocal prayer like years, sometimes decades of out loud prayer before they hit the prayer of silence or communion with God where you're communing. And I often describe it like this. Wesley and I have been married almost 41 years um, uh, next month in November. And, you know, when we were first married, uh, when Wesley would come home from work and I'd make him supper, if we had, a, 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 a newly, as a newly married couple, Times where we didn't talk, you had silence every time the husband came home and he never opened his mouth and he never talked and he never, you know, how are you doing? Good. How's it going? You know, and there's just kind of no communication. You can tell there's going to be a problem in the relationship. 
But now, after 41 years, and we've lived in the same town for much of that time, and you know, we can walk along the beach where we raised our kids, and I'll look at Wesley and say, hey, remember when, we'll hold hands, and I'll say, hey, Wesley, remember when Caleb learned to ride a bike on that street? And you know, we'll just squeeze hands, and we'll both go into the memory together, and we're communing, and we're, we're at a deeper place sometimes than just, you know, talking. And, that's what it's like in our relationship with God. So now I want us to practice. If you don't have a Bible, I want you to come and get um, one of these books. I don't know if there's any more books that were just not on the table. And, and we're, I want us to go to Psalm 91. Uh, here's another one. If you don't have, everybody needs one. Everybody's gonna stand up, all rise. We're gonna do 10 minutes of prayer. You're gonna see how easy it is to do. Okay, if, if there's any more prayer books out there in case people don't have one, if you have a Bible, just take your Bible. I want us to start on Psalm 91 because prophetically, a lot of the prophets are saying this is the psalm for this season to go deep in God uh, and, and be f not, not afraid, to be unafraid. The enemy is trying to make everybody afraid. The news is trying to make us all afraid. There's all these problems in the world. But, so, and I want us to, to stand out. So if we could start, oh, oh actually, wait there. I'm going to play only uh, the Lord's Prayer. My daughter, this is a sample. This is when she was four years old. We recorded her, okay? And if you want, you can download these CDs from our website, wesleystacycampbell.com. Um, they're all there. And th but if you want to play, I want to give you an example. Even a child can do this. This is not something difficult. She's... Turn it a little bit up. My name is Psalm 23. Oh, the Lord's And so we have, like, any, even children can do it. And she couldn't read. And how she learned to pray and how she learned those scriptures was either myself or her older brothers would read. She would say it be behind it. And, and you can learn to pray before you can learn to read, you know. You can uh, understand that. So, and then, then I, I, we don't have time to do it all, so I'm going to, uh, normally I have us walk around in a monastic wheel and do the whole thing. We only have five minutes. So I prefer that you open your Bible to Psalm 91 and then do this like davening, okay? We're just going to stand in one spot. And um, if you can daven, if you want, you can walk, you know, find a little space to walk up and down. 
Take your Bible, take the book of prayers. Psalm 91 is on page 89. And we'll put on that instrumental so that you're not scared by the sound of your own voice. And I want you to just uh, practice, okay? He who dwells, okay? So if we put on one of those instrumentals, perfect. This is, uh, I think, the prayers for in Israel instrumental. Okay, here we go. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. Lord, I'm asking just want to stay. I want to live in the secret place. I don't want to visit, but I want to live there. I want to move in you. I want to live in you. But I thank you that I am your dwelling place. I am the temple of the Most High. And that you are always with me. You never leave me or forsake me. And I want to live in your presence. I am you as like you are in me, God. I am you as you And then it will happen on that day. John 17. That the Lord will again recover the well second time with his hand. Place, the remnant the of his place, people. Far from who other people's eyes when nobody's from Assyria. That I be Egypt, in that Catherine, secret place. Kus, Lord, I'm asking Elam, to be there the most. Sanar, and I want to thank you, God, and from the islands that of you the sea. are the most and he will lift up a above all things. And we'll higher, the higher. You're the most high, Lord. And I can think of a lot of high things, of high buildings, from the high thoughts, lofty thoughts, high things that oh exalt God, himself against the nature of God. But you are the most high. Who can understand Lord, your ways, O oh God of the universe, things that are creator of all things? In your majestic plan, you have set boundaries for nations and for people. Just to be with you. And that you would put in the heart of men and women a desire to know you. And out of your great loving kindness, that you would be built to stay. Oh God, not to we look to this I'm day in which we live, to I'm the unfolding of the returning I'm of even your people, your chosen people, Israel, to their I'm land that you have appointed, even the boundaries of, and that you would regather them even a second time. I will tell to this land that you have appointed, that you even from out of Egypt. You from Ethiopia, from Syria, it's not and from even the far corners of the earth, person. and even it's the God himself, of the you are my refuge. That you would regather by a work of your spirit and bring them back to the land every of their dwelling place, the land I will say of their Lord, He's my refuge, my fortress, my God. Him will I trust. And so, God, I just want to say this. And I trust you. I trust you. I trust you, God, when I don't understand. I say, my God, you save God. And Him will I trust. When I understand you, when I don't understand. When I put my trust actively into you, into who you are, to who you have said you are. In Jesus' name, amen.